Hey, it's Bill Simmons from The Ringer. Wanted to tell you about our newest podcast that is exclusive to Spotify. It is called The Hottest Take. These are short podcasts. These are going to be like seven to nine minutes, multiple times per week. It's one take. Sweet potatoes are bullshit. You're going to get takes like that. You're going to take about sports. If Cliff Kingsbury looked like Brad Childress, he would never work again. Pop culture, you're going to hear from me. Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. Ludicrous. This is an interesting take because the name of the show is the hottest thing, not the worst take. You're going to hear from Ryan Rossillo, Mallory Rubin, Jason Concepcion, Chris Ryan, Sean Fennessy, Shay Serrano, my buddy House, and many more Ringer staffers and friends of the Ringer family, some celebrities. It's going to be exclusive on Spotify multiple times per week. Coming September 16th from The Ringer Podcast Network. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Big shout out to Yola Tango, as always, for the wonderful intro music. Let's get right into our podcast guest this week. It's Sam Kang. He is the chef of Wyo. We didn't get to do a pre or post opening diaries. We wanted to, didn't get the chance. So this is our volume two of our own worst critics. We did the first one with Josh Skeens of Angler LA, and now we're going to turn the microscope on ourselves. It's been a lot of restaurant openings the past sort of 18 months for us, two years at Momofuku. And we just opened Bar Wyo. I think that there's a lot of things that we can be criticized for. The weak points, the fact that people think that it's in another sort of generic space, even though I think the South Street Seaport space is beautiful. It's a potentially limited menu. Maybe people won't see it as ambitious. It's just, quite frankly, been a lot of restaurants we've opened up. I think people might get sick of that. I, I don't know. And also, it's it's maybe a little bit out of our wheelhouse. It's I don't know how to describe the food. We'll let Sam describe it in a second. But we have great hopes for this restaurant. We want to do something fun. We signed this deal about three years ago. But we are still in the process of discovering our weak points. And I think it's a... It's a new crew. It's a new team, both front of the house and back of the house. I'm really proud of what they've done. And we'll get into this podcast in a second. But I've listened to it, and I think that I sound pretty domineering in this conversation. But that's only because I want so badly for Sam to do well. You know, we had Dr. Jim Kim on, and he sort of been my older brother figure, my hyung. And I, I've never thought that I would have a Dongzeng, which is basically like the younger brother figure in a Korean culture relationship. And I'm not sure why. Maybe I see a lot of myself in Sam. I just felt that Sam has all the talent in the world. He could be a potential little bit misguided and needs just to, some more guidance. And I thought I could be that young figure potentially. So I want so badly for him to do well. And I'm learning this is new to talk about this on a podcast. Sam's never spoken to anyone publicly before. So this is all new. And I'm trying to sort of get the best out of them. At the same time, like I'm learning how to not just be a better interview person, but this is me as a boss. And it's just weird because this wasn't a normal flow of conversation. So apologies if I sound overbearing, which I am, I know, but like the the just trying to like get coax more out of Sam. And that hopefully comes across. And you get to check out Sam's food and the team there. I really think it's delicious. I think it's fun. And we have a lot more to do at Wyo. But this is sort of a portrait of an, a chef at a young age. I also wanted to talk about, my opinion is fact, about the South Street Seaport. Last week, a critic from the UK who was reviewing Kawi, wrote that she wondered what a young Dave Chang would think of Momofuku today. If you think that the old Dave Chang would be opposed to opening in malls or shopping centers, you're completely misunderstood what we've been trying to do from day one. Sambar was supposed to be a fast food burrito shop. Noodle Bar was supposed to be a populist version of affordable food done with great ingredients. In Asia, some of the best food is in malls and food courts. Yes, mall dining in America has traditionally been bad, 
But I think what I've always wanted Momofuku to do, whatever the kind of cuisine that we cook or the price point, we've very much wanted to be subversive in the best way possible and make food great in all formats. And food in malls has traditionally been bad. And we've talked about it on this podcast a lot. But if you just keep thumbing your nose at it, you are only going to perpetuate the problem of just having bad food. Like, that's not cool, man. Like, I can go to Asia, I can go to Korea, I can go to Japan, Singapore, you name it. And you can find some of the best meals in train stations and fifth floors of office buildings and shopping malls, all the quote-unquote uncool places. And I don't know where you're supposed to open up a restaurant anymore because it's just not cool to open up where you're supposed to be. Would you rather more shitty chain restaurants open up instead? You know, I, I, I guess that you can technically call Momofuku chain, but we're not trying to open up the same kinds of restaurants. The fact of the matter is that not all restaurants can be Favakin or Noma. There are only so many perfect locations in the world. We already have plenty of locations in the East Village, and we're trying to grow as a company. Why wouldn't you want good food in more places? I also can't help but think that it's a privileged perspective to look down on malls and food courts and shopping centers, etc., etc. I know that I sound defensive, and I know I'm trying to, I guess, rationalize the fact that we're opening up in places that are quote-unquote uncool. I get it. But the fact of the matter is, like, I know great food can be done in so many places. And I remember opening up Momofuku in the East Village in 2004. And before us, the reason, one of the reasons we opened up there was Marco Knorr and Paul Greco opened up Hearth in 2003. And everyone was like, that's crazy. You can't open a serious restaurant in the East Village. And sure enough, that's changed. And it's sort of the same crazy behavior when people talk about why they do friend when you open up 71 Clinton Fresh Food in 1999. Everyone's like, that's crazy. That same kind of sort of contrary attitude can be like looked at at a mall or places that are quote unquote uncool, right? Like where else are you supposed to open up? How many more Lower East Side cool restaurants can open up? There are a lot of people that work at these places. There are a lot of places that just, God damn it, there's just too many chains. And I think there's an opportunity to do something cool. And historically, man, like everything that's cool was at one point uncool. And I'm going to die on the cross on this as shitty and stupid as that sounds. Like there is a lot of room in the uncool places. And I promise you in the next 10 years, New York City and any place that's a metropolis, urban area, things are going to go up and down in places that are uncool. And that's going to be basement, train stations. Like, look, even airport food's getting better. Anyways, I digress. That's my little rant, my my take on why we're opening up in places that are mall-ish. That's just the way it is. And if we do the same thing, we get in trouble too. So we're not. Anyway, I'll shut the fuck up. This is my conversation with Sam Kang. I love him very much. And um, I can't wait to see where he takes this whole thing. So I'm with Sam King, the chef of Bar Wild. It opened up how long ago? Three weeks ago. Three weeks? This is the third week right now. I think so, yeah. Have you ever been in a position to be a chef before? Not like this. Like small time, kind of. Where? Just like, no. No. (laughs) The answer is no. And uh, you were at Co. You're a sous chef at Co. Yes. And before you were at Co, you were at Eleven Madison Park. Yes. And before Eleven Madison Park, you were in Brooklyn somewhere. Well, after Eleven Madison in Brooklyn, but then before Eleven Madison Noodle Bar. And before that, Co. And before that, school. And then California. Yeah. Where in Los Angeles? Gardena. What's Gardena for people that don't know? What's Gardena like? Gardena is very old school. In a lot of sense, um, it's like its own community. It's filled with a lot of um, like Hawaiian, Japanese, Koreans, or used to be Koreans. They don't live there anymore. They moved out. Um, it's a big culture like pot. Southwestern LA. Yeah, Southwest. And it's one of my favorite places to eat. And the reason I'm talking about Gardena is I think it does shape the culinary sort of story of Sam Kang. 
Sam Kang to me is Los Angeles. More specifically is Gardena, which is, if you haven't been, it's got some of the best eating in all Los Angeles. So what did you grow up eating? Grew up eating a lot of Japanese, a lot of Korean, Japanese, Chinese, and Mexican food. Pretty much. That's so when I taste some of the food that Sam makes, I'm always like, oh, he gets that. But partly I think you get it because you just were exposed to so many things, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, like, you know, your favorite udon spot mm-hmm. in Gardena? I like, I ate it and I was like, you're like, oh, it tastes just like Japan. And I was like, oh, dude, this is what I eat every day. It's like Japan. <laughs> it's just like Japan. It is. It's literally going to Japan. And the thing is, is, like, it's not like good udon. It's good udon, but it's like, the udon you'd get at the like the corner shop that's mm-hmm. like where all the salary people would go then it's mm-hmm. like eight bucks you're in and you're out mm-hmm. it's not going to be like the super high end but that restaurant otafuku really is one of my favorite places and a lot of people may not understand it because it's like they're thinking it's got to be the best japanese food no it's really good it's like a brasserie mm-hmm. exactly and you have some of the best mochi the, like the mochi stores Right? For real. I was telling uh, JJ about the mochis, like a peanut butter mochi. Yep. Oh, so good. From Little Tokyo. It's outrageous. And you introduced me to the Gardena Bowl. Yes, Gardena Bowl. What's, what's so special about a bowling alley? I actually grew up in that bowling alley. Like every Sunday, like we go there and play bowling. Like I got my first bowling ball and I use it there. Um, my dad was really big on bowling. But it's just like a fun place. Like you can get drinks. You can go bowl, you can shoot pool, and you can go eat like all and in the one. eating though. This to me, this restaurant, the diner that's in Gardena Bowl, if you want to do sort of an anthology of Sam King at a young age, portrait of a chef at a young age, this is like where scholars should study. I just went there like um, when I went to LA for a little bit. First spot was Gardena Bowl. And then just like eating there, I was like, oh, so good. Like, So what is it? Like when you say it's good, people are thinking, oh, it better be the best meal I ever had. But No, it's just like to me it's good. Like I can see like other people might not like it, but it's what I grew up eating. So it's like having pancakes with miso soup and like gravy and rice with Portuguese sausage and like this Hawaiian punch is like… <laughs> like that's my breakfast, you know. Like it's not like just bacon, eggs, and waffles. It's like loco mocos on the menu. There's egg a, fu young. yeah. There's egg fu young. There's a there's a thing called the royale. You know, it's like the Hawaiian royale. It's like I don't know. It's just like a whole melting pot, and it's fun <laughs> to eat. And I had heard over the years you basically say how much you love this restaurant. So. When we went there for for shooting some TV, I was like, "Okay, we gotta we gotta show Gardena because I I love going to Gardena for a variety of restaurants, but that was the one that I hadn't, didn't even know about. And when I ate there, I understood Sam. I understood Sam King all at once. It was like that moment in Ratatouille. I was like, "Oh, I don't think about my mom. Like I can see Sam becoming Sam King and all the flavors and the time spent there and the sense of community and." What I really think it gave you was a sense of flavor that a lot of people never had because you're not just losing, eating Japanese food. You really are eating Asian American food. So when I ate there and I was like, oh, this is what Sam's talking about. I was like, oh, this is why Sam needs to be the chef at Wyo. Wyo has to be, at least in my opinion, when we first started talking about it with Marguerite, this restaurant that is fun, celebratory, obviously going to have some great drinks. But it's also a understanding of food combined with other foods in a way that is what I've always termed as Blade Runner food. That is like, of course, it should make sense. You're eating the Royale with egg for young and cheese fries with fruit punch. It doesn't make any sense. But actually, it won't make sense to anyone that's not from Gardena. <laughs> so when I asked you to be the chef at Wyo, what was going through your head? And what were you thinking about food-wise? Um, the food, well, it's a bar. So I was thinking more bar food. Growing up near the pier, Redondo Pier, I was like, oh man, it'd be so cool to have like different kinds of like, like pier food from what I grew up on. I tried to do funnel cake, but then didn't work out. I tried to do like 
all these different food. And I was like, oh, it doesn't make sense because it's New York. But I just wanted to make food like delicious, <laughs> like straight to the point. I think it's to the point where it's like, I don't want to question like, oh, it's good, but it needs this because this acid is going to make this bitterness go away. But this sugar, it's like, it gets too complicated. It's like, is it good? Yes. I checked that off my checklist. It's like, can it be better? Yes. And then it's like, keep improving on that more than like dialing it down so small. It's like, either the food is good or it's not. And let's improve on that. That's how I see it. I really want to get to this because I've always thought Sam was one of the most talented people I've ever met. Sam's always had this ability to make delicious dishes. And because of your upbringing and how you are Korean American and I've never had to really question too much, even when you worked at Noodle Bar, that like I could just tell that you were going to be successful because you made great family meal, like really great family meal. You always took pride in that. And then you left Free MP and then you came back and we stayed in touch. And I just knew without even working with you that closely that you made food that I didn't have to like ask questions about. And there was that sort of you know, the fact that you grew up in a Korean American household with all of those diverse flavors from Gardena made it a lot easier because you understood a lot of things that I wanted to do. But we ran into some problems at Co. Yes. What were they? Because you started out as a line cook and then what happened? Uh, started off line cook, then sous chef as a sous chef. Was your first time a sous chef? Uh, yes. Before you became a sous chef, what did you think a sous chef was? Like thinking about it right now, my mind is blank because it's like, I didn't really think that much about it. How many times did you have a sous chef at other restaurants you worked at and you were like, this guy sucks. This oh, girl a lot. Sucks. Why? Because in my head, I was like, I could do it better. And then finally you get the position to I, be a sous chef. I get the position and it's, it's a lot uh, more difficult than I would think. Can you state to the audience, this is like a deposition. <laughs> Did you consider yourself a really good line cook? Line cook? Yeah. I thought I was really good. I think you're a very good line cook. Yeah, I thought it was fast, I, I got efficient. Sh- I got shit done. Like, nice uh, guy in the kitchen? Um, It depends. How? If people were on my way, then I wasn't. What do you mean? Like, I needed to get shit done. You can't get in my way. Because I need to get things done. But that's the bad part about it. This is what I, I've always said. That cooks that are very good at cooking almost always make horrible chefs. Because they never had to rely on anyone else. Because everyone else was really in their way of getting to be successful. Mm-hmm. That was my great concern of getting you to, to promoting you. was a sense of maturity. Mm-hmm. I guess that what I'm really asking is, did you see outside yourself? Or did you no. only see? No, I just saw myself. just saw myself. Selfishly. And when did you realize that there were like some problems were brewing? When everyone uh, addressed the problems to me. Like how was it being addressed? Just like, oh, you can't do this. You can't say this. Like you need to be better at this. And then to me being selfish, I'm like, oh, they just don't know. I was like, they're wrong. And then I What else? You were like, they suck. I'm good. Well, I didn't think they sucked. It's just like… It's just opinions. I'm like, all right, why do I really care about these opinions? And then I have to really think. And then it took me years. I'm like, they're saying things to make me better. It's not to harm me or saying in a like a mean way. It's just like they just want to help. And I didn't see the help. I just saw like people in my way. So Cobar opens up and you're helping Sean and Sue with a lot of the menu items. Cobar, I think, is one so delicious and very proud of the whole team there. And you spent a lot of your time there. And here's, is it okay if I'm just totally honest with everyone? We're telling the world this. Yeah, right? it's fine. They're like, wow, we know that Dave has a complete soft spot for Sam King. How do we tell him that he's the only person that feels this way? And I was like, one, it took me a while to like parse that out that I was like, wait, I think people are reacting differently to when I say Sam's this, this, and this, and he can do this, this, and this. And everyone's like, "Mm." I think they didn't want to like disagree. But I think after a few months, 
I began to notice that maybe I was in the minority. And the Sam Kang that I was seeing was very different than the Sam Kang everyone else was seeing. What was the Sam Kang everyone else was seeing? Not so nice. It's pretty much it. Like, I wasn't a nice person. How were you not nice? I just didn't think about the things I would say. Like, I didn't really think about it. I was like, I thought about it for like a split second. It's like, oh, to me, this is, this is the way. I'm like, all right, well, there's, now there's like five different people that are looking at me and there's probably like millions of others that probably think I'm wrong. <laughs> um, when you were like, wait, people don't like working with me? Did you I, know that? Yeah, I knew that. But you didn't care? No, I, don't, I didn't care. But why didn't you care? Because essentially people didn't like working with you because you were just a dick. Mm-hmm. You just had, I'm doing it this way. You do it that way. You were the guy that was like, I'm building my town over here. All you guys can do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not about being aggressive or being a yeller. You just were like, not, you don't play well with others. Mm-hmm. Yet I still believed in you. I don't know why. I still believed in you. I was like, this guy can do it. And this was almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. We had this conversation because I was like, I'm not going to build around Sam unless Sam can like understand that he has faults. Yeah. And I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking, can you acknowledge the, your defaults? Can you want to be better mm-hmm. and not just a better cook? The reason why I knew you have the capacity to be highly empathetic is because you know how to make food the way people want it to be tasted. You have that. It's like truly a gift you have. And like there was a day that Sean tried to get the seasoning and salt levels right on all these dishes. And they measured out. Sean would make a dish. And then over a period of like a week or two, everyone would make the dish. And they would measure out the salt that everyone used. And you were the person that got it exactly almost to the one milligram of what Sean was. And everyone else was way off. I just think like when you know, when you could taste something, like, mm, I think that this is how Sean would like it. That to me tells me a lot that you have that capacity. It just was never really activated in a way outside yourself that wasn't related to food. That was honestly my whole fucking thesis. I was like, <laughs> sounds insane now when I said it out loud. I was like, I was like, man, this fucking kid has this unnerving ability to make food. I mean, he can make it delicious, but he also knows how to make it like someone else might want it. I was like, that is, I don't know how to describe it, a very rare gift. But weirdly, he doesn't know how anyone else might want to be spoken to. I was like, if you can cook for someone and make them happy, you certainly have the capacity to make someone feel happy by just communicating. Because cooking is a form of communication. So that's, in hindsight, literally my whole, like, I'm going (laughs) to build all of this on this crazy fucking idea I have about Sam King. That I just feel that he has this entire deep reserve of empathy. It just has been misguided. And I want to figure out a way to put it in the right place. So you are operating at a very high level. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Altura COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants as we all do in the hospitality industry. So he switched to ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G, ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Today's show is also brought to you by Simply Safe. On average, a burglary happens once every 23 seconds in the U.S., but only one in five homes have home security, probably because most companies don't make it easy. 
They make the contracts hard. It's confusing to install. There's so many excuses, but not Simply Safe. Simply Safe makes it easy on you with no contract, hidden fees, or fine print. Simply Safe protects every door, window, and room with 24/7 professional monitoring for just $15 a month. It's won a ton of awards, from CNET to the New York Times Wire Cutter. One thing that makes Simply Safe stand out is their video verification technology. When other home security systems are triggered, police often assume it's a false alarm, and the call goes to the bottom of the list. But not with Simply Safe. Using their video verification technology, they can visually confirm that the break-in is happening, allowing police to get to the scene 3.5 times faster than the average response. I never really took personal security seriously ever. I've always left my doors unlocked. I never had any kind of security system until I started a family, until the birth of my son, and I'm. Just happy that I have Simply Safe guarding my family when I'm away or at night. So thank you, Simply Safe. Visit simplysafe.com/chang and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day free risk trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com/chang so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com/chang. And now back to the show. And then, what happened over the next few months at Co? I think it was getting better. I tried to get like a team going, but it didn't really work out because bridges were burned. It is what it is. Like, all right, you can try as much as you want. Like that bridge is fucking gone. You burned a lot of bridges. Yeah. And I was like, maybe the only way there you're truly going to be able to get forgiveness is by showing what you can do with your job and your life moving forward. And it was not. It, listen, just clear the record. It's like Sam just needed to grow up. And what I thought was everyone's just trying to give you the answer, including myself. Maybe the only way Sam's really going to grow up is when he has no fucking net to fall back on. And that's why I was like. I've just been sort of like George Costanza as of late. I'm going to do all the things that I've told myself I'm not supposed to do, and the opposite really was <laughs> promoting you. <laughs> it was a lot of work that went into that. A lot of discussion. You know, Marguerite really had to sign off on it. The whole nine, everyone understood it. And when you were tapped to be the chef, the CDC at YO, what was going through your head? In my head, I was like, all right. Showtime! Like that's all that went through my head. I was like, "All right, I have to prove to everyone that this is not a mistake." Because it wasn't about cooking ability. No, zero. And I say this a lot: the road to being a great chef is littered with people that were excellent cooks, but shitty motherfuckers that were really bad at communicating. And I really believe there's a correlation to the better cook you are, the higher the obstacle it is to becoming a better chef. Because if you're so good at cooking as you are. You're never going to understand what it's like not to be good at cooking,、mm-hmm. and you're going to be surrounded with a lot of people that are never going to be as good as you. So, how do you communicate that? How do I do、yeah. it right now? Well, that was the question I had. Oh, and what are the benefits of having Momofuku as we are right now with Marge as the leader and on the corporate office and just the whole structure of Momofuku is that we have a whole team now that can help and and Josh and JJ and Sarah. It's sort of like great that you could sort of start fresh, still with guidance from everyone, including Sean and Sue, to give you a fresh start. Because I think the one thing everyone felt very confident is is Sam can cook incredibly well, but does he have everything else? Can he learn to do that? And I mean, we're in that process figuring out.、It's、now three weeks in. Why opens up? You get a team that you've never worked with, and not necessarily fresh start because I think that did you tell everyone about your past? No, I don't think they know anything about me. So, what have you done differently at Bar Wyo than when at Co? There's a lot of communication. It does not stop. It's like over communicating to the point where it's like I tell them like if someone doesn't want to listen, that's their problem. Like you tell me as much as you can, because I will try my best to listen to everything. Because if I don't, then I don't give a fuck, and that's a problem. <laughs> if I don't care, that's a problem. 
um, over communicating and teaching. You got to teach these guys from nothing, from zero. So I was like, all right. Like if I co, I would think everyone knew how to cook. That was my problem. And now I'm like, all right, these guys, no one's taught them the right way, the wrong way, or any way in general. So I'm going to teach them what I think is right. It's just basics. Everything is basics. How do, like you said, like, how do people wrap plastic? We have demos, like, once a week. This is how we wrap plastic. This is how we clean the walk-in. This is how we sweep the floors. This is how we do everything. So we, if there's anything wrong, if we don't do it all the same way, there's a problem. We do everything the same way. We clean the same way. We dress the same way. I have them, everyone wearing white t-shirts, black pants. Whatever you guys want to do, do it. But we all have to look the same. We have to act the same. We have to do everything the same. We're a team. And we have to show them that if we look like a team, these people think we're a team, you know? That's the first <laughs> step. Just look like a team. It's like, I don't watch sports a lot, but you always talk about sports. So I'm like, all right, this is the team where um, in the movie where like Mighty Ducks is a great example. It's like all these kids, different clothes, different styles. It's like, all right, how do I make this? Like our team, you know? You know, the crazy thing is, is I feel like one of the things we've done over the years at Momofuku is give opportunities to people that were certainly not ready. I was definitely not ready for the opportunities I've had. And I think about Christina Tosi and even now, um, just almost everyone that has had an opportunity to be a manager of people, no one I think would normally in a traditional sense think that they were ready. And I guess the first time I've ever thought about it this way, there's a kind of individual that will never take the next step and learn, in my opinion, until they actually have to learn what it's like to run their own business because they're so fucking stubborn that they think all their answers are right. And the only way you're going to understand that there's other scenarios and opportunities and avenues outside of whatever's in your own head is to know that your own decisions can be painfully wrong. And there's no better way to understand that than when you are running your own shop mm -hmm. and, and to see it in real time, be like, oh, this is a disaster. Mm -hmm. And there's no one else to blame other than me. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason why I was like, well, I think actually Sam is the right person because his integrity is high. The reason why he cares about it so much is because he just wants it to be great and he wants everyone to benefit from it, but he's got to grow up. And maybe the best way to grow up is to literally push you off that cliff and be like, <laughs> you got to fly, dude. <laughs> yeah. But we're there. We're, uh, you know, I think uh, the difference is, is we're flying with you. Mm -hmm. We're not letting you fall. But like, you got to feel what that's like to be in free fall, though. Mm -hmm. I got an email from Sam. And he's incredibly, you know, long-winded writer. As you can also hear from this podcast, he's very verbose. Just can't stop talking. I get an email, August 1st. Thank you for coaching me to understand my problems. Thank you, sign. <laughs> that was it. And I was like, well, I was like shocked. You never say that type of shit. What caused you to send me an email? You took the time. I got your back, boss. I got your back in the good and the bad. Yeah, you took the time. You know? And like you said, no one wanted to deal with me. So I was teaching my cooks problems. I was like, fuck, we're solving our own problems. I was like, this would never have happened if I didn't know my fucking problems. If they didn't tell me my fucking problems, I would have known this. Now I can probably solve a lot of my problems by myself. If I just knew. And there's a sense of, and I talked to Marge about this a lot, and she's the one that brings it up. And just the emails you write and the recaps at the end of the day, they're like teaching lessons. It's like the critical Christianity, but it was like, dude, you're like born again. 
<laughs> some some way. I don't even know what the fuck happened. But it's been, we are all so proud of you, Sam. Everyone is just so fucking proud of you. And we've just started. Nothing's even happened. There's no reviews or whatever. But here's the thing. It's like, whether you get good reviews or not, it's like, I know what we've done already. And I can see where you're going. And I can see the kind of chef and person you want to be now. That's winning, man. Fuck everyone else. Right? Yeah. And I know how hard you are on yourself right now. We've just begun. But there's a sense of purpose, even though we're making burgers and an homage to the Gardena Bowl. Mm -hmm. It's not just food anymore, right? It's not just food. It's not just cooking. What have we been learning? Like, I haven't been spending that much time. And it meant a lot to me that one day when I was leaving early and you were like, no, no, please stay. Just stay somehow, some way. What were you trying to say? I just wanted to show you. You're showing me, man. You're showing me. Don't do it for me. You know, I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. You can feel it, right? And... Uh, what are some of the things that we've been talking about that we've been learning at YO? Critical thinking. So to explain that. Just really think about what you're doing. Because I tell this to my cooks. I'm going to come around. I'm going to ask them why. And they say, I don't know. That's a terrible answer. And are you going to get mad now? No. It's just like, I, I teach them. Same thing with like mise en place. Like, you have what you have. You have your backup. You have your backup to your backup. Once you run out of your backup to your backup, your plan C, it's okay to 86. Because we went through two different plans. So it's fine. But we can't just 86 it. It's the same thing like saying, I don't know. That's like just running out, 86ing. Can't let that happen if you don't know. Like, But sometimes 86 is good. I, I love 86. Yeah, it's, it's totally fine. But we need a plan. Like, what is our plan? Like, this is our plan. Like, we have 10 items. Are you going to make more? Yes or no. It's like, if no, then okay. Yes, all right. So that's our backup plan. Like, I don't want to run out of stuff. Like, I need people to push. Everyone wants to push. So it's like, all right. We want to serve the food, you know? Once you 86 it, it's gone. It's like less of a push. Was that service. lesson one? Lesson one. Uh, Maybe that was lesson one. There's a lot of lessons. <laughs> They're mixed up. Another one is find shit. Sherlock Holmes that shit. Like, find it like <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. Find the problem before someone else finds it. What do you mean by that? What happened? Um, like food. I think you ate some… You ate a squid seca and it had a jalapeno that was super fucking spicy. And we couldn't… Like we were just a fool. What happened? Well, well the, what was told to me was it's the dried chili pepper. That's what we thought because it was a little spicy from just eating it by itself. Can I tell you what happened with me? Once that was told to me, I was like, these guys are… In my head, I didn't say it. I was like, these guys are fucking idiots. That heat from the dried chili pepper, if it was that hot, would be a much longer heat. Mm -hmm. This one is much more pronounced mm -hmm. and then dies out quickly and then has a numbing thing almost. And I was like, that's a jalapeno heat. Mm -hmm. I was like, these guys don't fucking know the difference. I'm mm -hmm. so mad, number one, just about that. But I was like, I'm going to wait. Mm -hmm. I brought it up probably like 30 minutes before service started. Mm -hmm. I heard that answer and I was going to wait. I want to mm -hmm. see if the, you guys could figure it out on your own. Did you guys figure it out on your own? I think you told us like… We ate it together and we're yeah. like, fuck, this is the jalapeno. And then we came back, we tasted it again, and that's when you tasted it together. I was like, okay, we don't have time for fucking around anymore. Yeah. We got to get this fixed. Yeah. Because we have a problem on the menu. It doesn't say it's spicy. And every once in a while, you get a jalapeno that is fucking ripping hot. Yeah. I don't know what the Scoville unit was, but it was like mm -hmm. hotter than a habanero. Huh? Yeah. It, it lingered a long time. And I'm like, we can't just serve this, guys. It's not going to fix itself, you know? And most importantly, you identified the wrong problem. Mm -hmm. You're taking out the dried chili peppers, but you're leaving in the actual problem. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm recalling it all, it's like you guys have to verify what the actual problem is. Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's a conjunction with another. We're talking about something that was very simple, like fried squid with nuts and chilies and garlic. 
important lesson. Yeah. Find the problem before someone else finds it. And no one's going to fix it for you. It's not going to fix itself. No. It's like, taste the food, find the problem before someone else does because it's going to trickle down and it's going to be bad. Like, it's better that they eat it before you eat it or I eat it or a guest eats it, you know? Like, all problems can have, like, filters. Before we go on, let's take another quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's Dave Chang Show is brought to you by Discount Tire. When was the last time you thought about your tires? Tires are what makes the difference in how your car feels and drives. Since 1960, Discount Tire has been keeping customers safe by taking care of all your tire and wheel needs. With over 1,000 locations across 34 states, their main focus is your safety and the safety of everyone else on the road. Discount Tire provides tire rotations, balancing, free flat repairs, free air checks, and more. And because safety is so important, they provide free tire safety inspections. Discount Tire also has the lowest prices on the best and largest selections of tires and wheels. They'll even make personalized recommendations for you based on your zip code and driving preferences. Whether you need an air check or a set of tires and wheels, Discount Tire can help you get back on the road with peace of mind and change to spare. Visit DiscountTire.com. That's one word, DiscountTire.com to shop, research, and purchase your tires today. You can make an appointment to skip the lines. That's DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire, they'll get you taken care of. Today's show is also brought to you by Sonos. Sonos meticulously designs every speaker from the inside out. They're experts in acoustics and engineering, even work with Oscar and Grammy-winning producers, mixers, artists to ensure an immersive listening experience. Getting started is easy. Just plug your speaker in and open the app. Then connect all of your favorite streaming services. Start with one speaker and connect more over Wi-Fi whenever you're ready. All Sonos speakers and components work together so you can get customization with your surround sound system. You can also connect your TV or turntable to listen to everything you love. I'm a huge fan of Sonos. Past decade, I've had Sonos in my apartments, in my house that I now live in. And if a dummy like me can install it and to change it and to customize it, literally, I'm the worst person in the world at this stuff, then I swear anyone can. And Sonos is so good because I can switch between watching football, now it's football season, to watching some sci-fi movie like John Wick 3 I just saw. Not a sci-fi movie, but still a very entertaining movie. And I surround sound the entire time. And then switch it over and listen to Velvet Underground or something like that. That's literally my day off type of stuff. And it really does make my leisure time unwinding that much better. So check out Sonos.com to learn more. And now back to the show. What else? So I have like, uh, I'm teaching all the cooks about chefs right now. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, Anton Karem. That was the first one. We did Escoffier yesterday. Which is kind of fun. And then there's a Dave Chang one. And then there's lessons that he teaches at YO. Uh, I think there's three right now, but I just got to update it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And what was the one that happened last week when I popped in? Last week. It was two. Carrots? Yeah, that was the critical. potatoes. That was the critical thinking and asking ourselves why. Um, why we do certain things. Just so like- you get the donut. And you don't get a donut at Bar Wyo, which has become a very popular thing. It's a curry donut. It's delicious. A lot of work. A year, almost two years of work went into that dish. And it's exciting to see people like getting it because it was something that people didn't feel was going to work. We have to 86 it because there's only, we're not a donut shop. We're making it from scratch and it's okay, but we can probably make 20 to 30 donuts a day. Mm-hmm. Time consuming. Very time-consuming. Very, very fucking time-consuming. And I walk in. First thing, I get there early. I like getting super early because I want to see how things are operating without people knowing. And then I see one of the sous chefs prepping carrots. And he's doing perfect Macedoine, uh, perfect cubes of carrot to put in the curry that's going to get cooked down. Uh And I'm like, what are you doing? What I also know is, well, we're a little understaffed. We're scrambling to get things done in time. And I don't say anything. I see him working on this and he's just cutting along and they're really nice. And he does like two quarts of carrots. I'm like, that's for a 
fast knife skill with carrots probably 30 to 45 minutes. So what I also know is there was a conversation. This would be in Sherlock Holmes. There was a conversation the night before about maybe using carrot scraps and cooking them down because they're going to get put into a curry sauce anyway. Mm-hmm. I'd save some time. Saving time without compromising the integrity of the product because you're cooking in a mush anyway. That conversation didn't get trickled down to the AM Sue, who's now prepping out carrots as they used to be. But even still, we should have looked at why we're doing carrots that way to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who usually cuts these carrots? Or oh, an hourly or whatever. I was like, well, I bet you this takes an hourly employee or someone that is like with moderate, nice skills. 90 minutes to do at least. 90 minutes over seven shifts. That's like 12 hours. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of labor. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why? Our job is to ask ourselves, is there a better way? And how do we, especially if we're in a problem of being a little bit short-staffed, how do we make things easier for us? Mm-hmm. And that was really what it boiled down to. Yes, yeah, crazy that you brought that up that day because we literally just talked about shredding it because we were like, we were asking ourselves, why? <laughs> we're like, why the fuck do we spend so much time? We don't have time. Let's figure out another way. So then we started it and then you brought it up. We're like, oh, we already have it in like our tester. But this is a perfect example. Communication did not get disseminated to everyone. No, it didn't. It went down. Can I tell you what happens too and how all these good ideas oftentimes die? You would have had that talk maybe with Josh or someone else. You start prepping on it and then you're like, oh, let's do this tomorrow morning. I have an idea. But then the next day, deliveries don't show up. Someone no calls, no shows. You have a leak upstairs. All these problems happen. Now you got to do some PR fucking photo shoot bullshit. Now, all of a sudden, the thing that you want to do that was at the top of your fucking agenda, you've completely forgotten about. And then you revisit it three weeks later when you finally get some sense and the bearings of your situation. And you look and be like, why the fuck are we cutting carrots this way? And you get it upset. Because you, you for sure thought that you told everyone that mm-hmm. we were supposed to cut carrots a different way that make it easier. I'm basically telling you a story that I've done too many times. And if I can do my part is just save you some of the stupidity. I don't want to save you from the heartache because mm-hmm. that's the best way to learn. But like, dude, no one told me this shit. We're talking about fucking carrots. But it really does show a larger symptom of how things get lost in communication, mm-hmm. right? And I can see old Sam Kang a year ago, two years ago, doing exactly that. Who the fuck? What the fuck? But you were the problem. <laughs> That's the, always the hardest pill that I had to learn to swallow. It's like, oh my God, I suck. <laughs> I suck first before anyone else sucks. Mm-hmm. We have boiled beef shank on the menu. Why? Boiled beef shank is on the menu because it's delicious. And we always have these extra shanks from the Aju. Uh, by the way, I'm changing it tomorrow. Good. I'm like, it's different. Okay. What are you changing? It's more like, um, I'm trying to work on this dish, like a gyudon style rice bowl for oh, later. So you're with the beef, you're still with beef shank. Beef shank. The beef shank. But it's just marinated now. And then the pickup is going to be a little different. Same bite, but just change it up. So what's the story about the beef shank? So beef shank, it's a very um, very Korean way to eat. It's boiled, some salt, some like sesame suyuk. oil. It's suyuk, right? Yeah, pretty much. Sometimes served with a scallion salad, salt, pepper, sesame oil, hangjang, mm-hmm. maybe a, like a soy vinaigrette type of thing. But boiled meat, ah, delicious. I love it's it. It's great. And how are you getting all these bo- this boiled meat? It's byproduct from… Making our aju, which is like our beef broth for our hamburger dip. So we have all this leftover beef. Um, might as well give it away at a great price. Beef shank is not cheap for the ones we're getting. No. And you're making a beautiful beef broth from it. And there was all of this picked beef shank. And what were you doing with it? Not, not even giving it a family meal. Not much. Yeah. We aren't doing much with it. And I was like, let's well, just roll it in some salt, pepper, sesame oil, and I'll eat it this way. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much just running a 
a real restaurant. Yeah, this yeah. is called running a restaurant, man. Literally, seriously, just running a restaurant. And if people don't want to order it, fine. But it's not like, you know. No, they don't have to. It's good if they want it. Pretty sure they'll get it though. And you're gonna turn into gyudon on rice now? Well, not over rice, just that flavor for now. Oh. So it's like, like a pop of flavor instead of like just meat flavor. So it burst in your mouth like. This. <laughs> and listen, I couldn't get excited about boiled beef shank. Mm-hmm. I hate almost everything about this job. But getting to work with food is something I don't get enough to do. And I really relish that opportunity. And I hate it when I see you or anyone else not take advantage of the opportunities you have. Mm-hmm. Why should your goals and ambitions be any less than the best just because you have a burger dip on the menu? Right? Why can't you have the same aspirations and culture of the very best restaurant in the world? Mm-hmm. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm really trying for that. Like I tell the guys, like it's just burgers, but we're gonna be a great restaurant just selling burgers. How are you hanging in there? You hanging in there? You got the days off? Are you gonna be able to do seven days? Um, I work every day. It's fine. Do you take Mondays off? Though? Yeah, Mondays, but you're still working. Yeah. I mean, in your head, you're working. Wherever you're at, you're working. Well, you know what? Welcome. I know. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I joined the club. That's I what I the love. Club. It's like when, when you talk to a kid that doesn't have summer breaks off anymore. And they're like, oh man, I got to work every day forever. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Goodbye. Two week vacations. Yeah. Four times a year. Uh, yeah. So that, that was a funny yeah. thing. I was like, wait, I know you have a day off, Sam. And that, that's a Monday. <laughs> but it's not really. Um, no, I think we're cool right now um we're trying to open for lunch and dinner every single day eventually it's only gonna get harder yeah it's only it gets easier but it gets harder first it's hard and then it'll get easy once we get comfortable and then it's gonna get hard again and then it's just like a it's a graph up and downs one last thing i'm trying to figure out when i was last here oh on my days off you know where i spend them with you Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, we had a, a time to chat and go over the pros and cons and things that need to be worked on. And what was the one thing you were worried about is storage. and Yeah, I, I solved that problem. What happened? Without going too deep into the whole space, you were freaking out over what? I was not freaking out. I was worried. I thought that space might be a problem. And then you told me. And then you told me that I should never speak to you again until (laughs) I figure this out. So I figured it out. (laughs) Because what happened is this. I sit down, catching up with Sam. And he tells me this problem. And I take him at his word. And I write an email being like, we need to get all hands on deck. We need to resolve this. Because we need to move whatever we need to do to get this right. And uh, I can... You know, I hadn't walked the space. I'm just like, you were concerned. And I was like, we're going to fix this. And then before I left, I walked back in and I'm like, I don't know why what's compelling me. It's not that I don't trust Sam. I want to walk through everything. I'm going to look at all the cold storage. I'm going to look at all the dry storage. And my response was what? Your response was, don't ever talk to me again until you like something. I forgot what it was. (laughs) Don't talk to me again until you see... How much space yeah. you actually have. Yeah. So then, yeah, I realized how much space I actually have. You were working out of fear. Yeah. I was in the situation, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're at war, you can't see the other person's perspective. Like, oh, shit. They got it pretty good or pretty bad, you know? I told you you were metaphorically in the weeds, even though you weren't cooking on the line. Mm-hmm. And that what, what happens when someone that's a new cook gets in the weeds for the first time and they can't get out for like no matter what they can't get out of the weeds every fucking service you know around 8 o'clock they're going fucking down what do they do? they just keep going they just keep going and then they panic they panic um, when they should just stop and assess the situation they fucking freak out they move faster Mm -hmm. and what kind of cook actually ever gets out of the weeds? a smart one 
someone that's seen a lot of different yeah. things. And what do they do? They have to stop. They have to fix their station. They have to analyze why they're going down. And they have to figure out, solve that problem. And before even that happens, I, I think what gets not enough credit is usually a cook has to say, whoever's expediting or the chef, be like, can I get what's on the board? Chef, I need this, this, and this. Can you slow down this table? And usually that's going to get the ire of whoever's expediting or the past because you're now slowing down the whole train. So a lot of people, instead of being honest about the situation, try to hide it. Mm -hmm. So by asking for help right off the bat and slowing things down, you're already making your hole deeper. I'm so amazed when I ever see a, a cook get out of the weeds because to actually acknowledge it and to let everyone know and then to slow it down even further before they actually stop cooking themselves, mm -hmm. it's pretty remarkable. And the very best cooks, you know, I, I think about Jonathan Benno, Arthur Nawab, Damon Wise. When I saw them get out of the weeds for the first time, I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to get to that level. They just stop. And it's like they're in the matrix and the fucking bullets are just like, shh, shh, shh. and they're just like chilling out. And that's when I saw the next level those fucking people that can intentionally get in the weeds just to feel something during service because they're so, they're so good at it. Mm -hmm. And I've been guilty of this. So has everyone else. When you're in that situation for the first time, your natural reaction is to do what? Panic. Mm -hmm. To sow seeds of fear. I thought about this a lot. Um, it's like a car with like a, a messed up tire. You can still get to your destination. Just be a little bit rougher. Well, you can just stop, change out the tire, put it back on, and you'll probably get there faster eventually. That's a good one. Samson really thinking this shit through. Yeah. Um, Sam, I want to thank you for being so honest and listening. I know I can be overbearing as a motherfucker, so I appreciate it. But I'm trying my best, man, to let you make your own mistakes. It hurts to see you fuck shit up, but... I think you're on the right path for sure. Thank you. You got it, brother. Well, that was my conversation with Sam King. Really happy he came on. And again, incredibly proud of everything he's done. And I will get better at talking to him. And I know that he's going to become a better chef. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Wanted to get to a couple Ask Dave at MajorDomaMedia.com questions. These are getting more and more intense. So Leslie Simmons Johnson emails, I was lucky enough to finally go to Major Domo a week ago. While at the bar waiting for our table, I could have sworn I kept hearing a PA system or a mic voice, which seemed very odd. Did my ears deceive me or do you have some sort of back of the house PA system? And if so, why? Well, Leslie, it's true. At Major Domo, we do have a PA system, and it's not something that we really enjoy having. Um, I hate having it, just letting you know. Major Domo is a very big restaurant. All in, it's almost like 300 seats if you include the outdoor, not uh, 300, 200 plus seats. It's cavernous, and it's a giant kitchen. We have a lot of people back there. And the way it's set up, it's not conducive for communicating in a traditional sort of French Brigade system where it runs almost like a, um, I won't say assembly line, that's not the right word, but it's like, it's easier to talk to a group of sort of six people when it's just the size of a large family room table and you're cooking over that piano. And Major Domo, as you've seen, it sort of runs horizontal and people are moving and it's loud. So when you call the tickets out, it's hard to be heard without yelling at the top of your lungs. And this is a good example of us sort of uh, subduing or surrendering to our sort of cooler impulses, which would be to not have a, a PA system. And we have a microphone and whoever's expediting, whether it's, uh, we have, it's so big, we need two expediters. So I always look at expediting as air traffic control. You have a left and a right one at the pass. And, um, you know, one does the left side of the kitchen, the other does the right. The right side does garmanger, meats, and desserts. And, and the other one does large formats, entremets, fish, pasta. And it takes a lot of coordination. And, 
you see some kitchens that are large have headphones. And I've, I started at one place uh, years ago where it was so quiet because everyone was whispering like this because you could talk into a headpiece. But I felt like you worked at McDonald's and I couldn't do it. And I would rather have it sort of loud. I speak pretty loudly, so I don't know necessarily I need one because there's nothing worse than having a kitchen where everyone is just so quiet. I, I need to have a pulse. We thought about doing a KDS, which is also a touchscreen, which you see in a lot of kitchens, and we've implemented them at some of our restaurants, and that has pros and cons. And currently, we probably would use the KDS, which would allow everyone to sort of have their own sort of terminal in front of them, and it's wildly efficient and effective, and I'm a huge fan of it. You do lose the personal communication to the cooks, but what you gain is just ruthless efficiency in how you should expedite tickets and what to cook. But our current system and what we use as a POS terminal where you organize the tickets that get put out into the printer doesn't accommodate for that. So the last thing we wanted to do was a PS system and that's what we did. So you heard it and um, it's become sort of the major demo experience for the cooks. If and when we can transition to a KDS system, I believe we will do that. So that's why Leslie Simmons Johnson, maybe it was a little bit too in-depth. I could go more in-depth as to why we use it, but uh, we could be here all day. And maybe we'll do a podcast about doing air traffic control of expediting. Tejo Rayo, uh, about a year and a half ago, did a fantastic piece about expediting in New York City restaurants. It is a very difficult job. And if you're good at it, man... It, it really does save the entire day because a busy service with a bad expediter can just make life a living hell. Eric Wynn asks to ask Dave at Major Domo Media, I enjoyed your segment about making BLTs with less than perfect ingredients and was wondering if there are any Asian foods out there that taste better with less fancy ingredients or similarly mass market Asian food that you really enjoy. Is there a Panda Express version of Popeye's red beans and rice? I'd really like to know. Oh, man. Good question. I don't know, Eric, if there is such a thing. I guess like rice would be one thing, but across the board, Asian ingredients are sort of bad in America. And while you can use them, I would say the one thing that probably doesn't make a difference would be rice wine vinegar. Even bad vinegar is good. And it's going to be hard to sort of distinguish the threes, fours, and fives versus the eight, nines that you might get in a really good rice wine vinegar. The one thing I think that is absolutely horrendous is soy sauce and misos and general fermented products. Because they're, if you look, they're really not even soy sauce. There's corn syrup in them. There's caramel food coloring. And they're essentially just salt water. That, I don't know. I, I think one of the things I really want to dedicate moving forward is to make higher end version of Asian ingredients. So it's hard for me to describe what that is because I don't know how to make, I mean, I guess soy sauce, there are some better soy sauces out there already, but once you taste real soy sauce that's been made in a traditional way, you can't go back. And I always use that fresh squeeze orange juice example. It's like, yes, you can, but it's not like really good soy sauce. While salty is not as salty as the commercially made stuff. Because once you add a lot more sodium to the fermentation process, it's easier to control. It's easier to sort of schedule fermentation. But because of that salt, you don't create an environment where you're going to get the microbes. And it's easier to make, basically make. And when you use less salt, it's harder to control. But you're going to get more flavors simply because when you have less salt, you basically create an environment where you have different microbial reaction. And it produces more flavor. Anyway, I think the one thing that I can think of that right now that is good, which is probably a more esoteric ingredient, would be black bean paste that you can get at an Asian supermarket. And I think the hot sauces for the most part, right? Those things that are less than perfect are still really good. Fish sauce to a lesser degree and sesame oils, right? Even the sort of shitty La Choice sesame oil or the shitty um, chili sesame oil that you can get at almost any supermarket is pretty good in my opinion. But we're really talking about not esoteric ingredients, but non-real staples. 
And I would also say rice noodles. Those things are as good as you might get. Not as good, but you're not going to notice the difference. Um, man, I, I need more time to think about this, Eric. But if you're going to buy those ingredients, I guess too, maybe cabbage and stuff like that. But I haven't really thought about it. It's a really tough question. Um, when it comes to a Panda Express version of Popeye's Dread Beans and Rice, man, like there really doesn't exist a good fast food in America. I will say that good fast food Panda Express version you see in China, particularly Hong Kong, or if you go to the Singapore airport, the Hong Kong airport, I think and think of has great Cantonese barbecue. Uh, I can't remember the name, but uh, it's in the, I think, God damn it. I can't remember the terminal. The quick service food in Asia, particularly Cantonese food, I think is tremendous. And I think, honestly, if you think about a Panda Express version of Popeye's, look no further than Din Tai Fung. Din Tai Fung is now franchised, but it's it's still uniformly good. I've had it in Seattle. I've had it in LA. And I think that's the benchmark for sort of a franchise food. So if you want a Popeye's red beans and rice, go to Din Tai Fung because it's, it's the fucking bomb. Um, hopefully, then to answer your question, Eric, uh, Kenan Gaudet sends in to ask David Major Doma Media. I've been listening to your pod for quite a while now. It's given me a lot of things to think about as I'm starting a chef apprenticeship program at my local junior college. What advice would you give me as I start classes this fall? I know you frown upon culinary school, but if someone is starting it, what do I do to get everything I can out of it? Well, Keenan, thanks for sending that in. And I've gotten a lot of sort of DMs and emails about telling people not to go to cooking school. I think that my personal opinion is you shouldn't. You should go to a college and, and something that you can afford and not to put you in deep debt and then to go work at a restaurant while you're going to school. But there are people that have benefited tremendously from culinary school. And I think about uh, several of my friends that went to, say, the CIA and they've done, I'm a, I went to FCI, but I don't know if I would have been successful without going to college prior. If you do think about going to culinary school, my concern, again, is having a backup plan, number one. So if you're going to junior college, maybe you should start to study something else simultaneously as hard or dedicate the same amount of hours. But if it's something that you are dead set on, you have to fully immerse yourself into it. You should learn every technique from around the world. You should just study and study and study and study and try to recreate them and try to ask as many questions as possible. But effectively, it's total immersion in the culinary process. Eat, drink, and sleep. Start practicing your canals in front of TV. Start sharpening your knives. Start making as many mistakes as possible and read cookbooks and practice them and to ask questions. And you are just going to begin the process of just learning as much as possible. And the real culinary school for you should not stop when the classes end. That's just the beginning because you're going to enter a profession where knowledge is really more important than ever before. And I wish you the best of luck, but that would be my best advice to you is to get everything out of a culinary school program, if you are going to start it, is to just not even think that cooking school is just the beginning. It's really just the beginning. Cooking school is probably, what, five to seven hours a day? That means you have 18 hours a day to dedicate to learning your culinary profession. And I would dedicate as much time to that as feasible without destroying your sort of work-life balance. Anyway, um, that's it. Thank you for listening. Please give us five stars on iTunes. Stay tuned next week. Thanks again, everyone. Take it easy.